Officer Darren Cooper tossed the gun that he had taken in the traffic stop into the trunk of his unmarked cruiser. The 45 caliber handgun was much too pretty for him to allow it to just waste away in the hands of a criminal. He'd rather have it in his collection instead of it being a catalyst for a drive-by shooting or a string of armed robberies. The man that he took it from didn't put up a fuss since he let him off with just a warning and allowed him to keep the drugs that he had in his possession. The officer pulled it to the parking lot, checking his hair in the rearview mirror before exiting his vehicle. He draped a blue blazer over his white Oxford shirt that clung tightly around his muscular physique. Marching with the upright posture that he acquired from the military, he made his way into the strip club. The song that was playing, he recognized. It was the same tune that he heard coming from the car that he pulled over just moments ago. Must be a popular song, he thought, while he bobbed his head in an attempt to nod along to the beat. He provoked several stares while he strode towards a seat right next to the stage. Being the only white guy in the club, it was hard for him to go unnoticed. A couple of feet away from where he sat, a woman named Aaliyah was receiving a lap dance as she celebrated her birthday. The officer ordered several drinks and chugged them back to back as he watched the stripper dance for the manly looking birthday girl. Darren smiled as a chocolate-complexed stripper walked over to him and whispered something in his ear. She then turned around and headed towards the door, with the officer falling closely behind her nicely shaped figure. The two disappeared through the door and resurfaced at a private area that was located outside of the club. The stripper then bent over and placed her hands against the wall. She seemed to be used to assuming the position. Darren began to frisk her. The stripper then spread her legs even further. She was well acquainted with the fact that the officer loved to role play. He had been a client of hers for a while now, employing her services to meet the needs of his racial fetishes. Once Darren pulled down his slacks, she then took her hand and guided him inside of her. You feel that, you black whore? the officer asked. That's a real man, he stated, slurring his words while he gripped hold of her behind. Bet your brothers in the hood ain't built like that, are they? No, daddy, the stripper said while lying to the officer. Darren pounded wildly, using racial slurs while on the verge of climaxing. The stripper didn't seem to mind, because as long as he was paying, she didn't care what words he allowed to come out of his mouth. Once Darren finished, he pulled up his trousers and grabbed a crisp $100 bill from out of his wallet. The woman took it as she opened up the door and snuck back inside of the club undetected. Darren staggered as he walked back to his car, feeling the effects of the liquor that he had consumed. Upon reaching his car, a man and another dancer stood in front of his cruiser arguing with one another. Who in the hell was that that dropped you off? The man questioned. He was just a customer, Mike. Take your drunk ass home, she then demanded. I know you're sleeping with them, Mandy, the man said in his rebundal. At first, Darren was amused by the entertainment, but the allure soon wore off after ten minutes had went past. Darren, now tired of hearing the quarrel, grew impatient as his eagerness to leave became overwhelming. Hey, homeboy, Darren yelled. Why don't you move so I can get in my car and go? The two paid the officer no attention and continued to bicker back and forth. Hey, bro, you and your trick need to get out of my way. The last statement that Darren made accomplished the goal of getting the man's attention. What'd you say? The man asked as he started to approach Darren with his fist balled up. Kick his ass, the stripper yelled in an attempt to cheer on her boyfriend. The man slowly swung at the officer, barely affecting him with the punch that he threw. Darren then counter-reacted with a punch of his own, dropping the man quickly down to the pavement. 
He then proceeded to mount on top of the man, introducing several punches to his face. A bystander who was looking on took it upon himself to call the police. Within no time, officers swarmed the ground surrounding the two as they continued to tussle in the parking lot. Put your hands up, they commanded with their guns aimed in the direction of the fight. It's okay, it's okay, I'm a police officer, Darren hollered back. I said put your hands up, they shouted once more. Okay, okay, Darren responded, surrendering, putting his hands in the air. All of the movie from the fight caused Darren to vomit barely missing the officers as they placed his hand inside of the cuffs. Darren spent the rest of the night inside of a single man cell. Because he was an officer, he was segregated and kept away from the offender population. Since it was hard to keep the room from spinning with his eyes closed, he hardly slept a wink. His back ached from a combination of the previous fight that he was in, along with a thin cushion of a mat that served as his bed throughout the night. Thanks to the liquor, the punch that the man threw didn't seem to phase him but the black eye that Darren now wore told a different story. The cell door opened up. The loud slamming of the bar seemed to intensify the headache that he now had. An officer escorted Darren through a back route, which was far away from the public eye. It wasn't for Darren's benefit that this was done. It was done to keep the whole department from facing the embarrassment that his actions would bring upon them. The two walked up a series of steps until they reached the fourth floor. As the officer opened up the door, Darren's captain met them. The expression on his face was a dead giveaway to the frustration that he was feeling in regards to Darren. Cooper, this is your second infraction in less than four months. Darren began to recall the previous incident that took place about four months ago. His wife had reluctantly invited him to his daughter's birthday party, which was being held at the skating rink. Darren showed up loud and belligerent after having consumed several drinks before he showed up to the party. An argument ensued between his wife and he. Darren, under the influence of anger and alcohol, forcefully pushed his wife into a wall. The police were called and Darren was escorted out of the building. Now here he was again in trouble as a result of his addiction to alcohol. You really need to get yourself together, Cooper, because you're running out of chances. I'm sorry, Captain, he replied. And that's how you look, Darren, just sorry. I have no choice but to place you on 30 days suspension without pay. I hope in that time you will get you some help. Deep down inside, Darren knew that he needed help, but the liquor would be his only friend that would keep him company throughout the course of his suspension. 30 days later, Darren was glad to finally be able to head back to work. He missed the excitement, the adrenaline rush, and the power that came along with the territory. As he walked into the precinct, he was greeted by his pal and fellow officer Trevor Lasley. The two of them had went to high school together and also entered the academy at the same time. Trevor was Darren's closest confidant who stood by him as he faced the issues that helped to destroy his marriage. Though he sympathized with Darren, Trevor's wife had told him that he had become Darren's enabler. What's up, buddy? Trevor asked. Glad to have you back. How was your vacation? He questioned, making reference to Darren's suspension. Man, one more day and I probably would have went crazy, he responded. So what are you doing tonight? Trevor asked his friend. I don't know. I really didn't have any plans. Well, Dad's fixing spaghetti. So why don't you come by for dinner? I appreciate it, Trevor, but I really don't want to impose on you and your family. Darren, you're fine. You know that you like family. Are, are you sure that Dad wouldn't mind? Your family, Tre Darren, Trevor repeated once more. The other officers began to make it in for roll call. Several of them snickered and shook their heads in shame in response to seeing Darren's face. While he was on suspension, 
A few of the officers placed bets in regard to how much longer they believed that he would make it on the force. But not so with Trevor. He chose to remember the old Darren, the man that he was before his life had taken a turn for the worse. He held on to the belief that the man that he once knew was still there. He just needed to resurface from the pool of alcohol that seemed to have taken him under. Dispatch sent out the call that a robbery had just taken place at a gas station. Darren was in the area while the suspect was said to have fled on foot. He slowly cruised the vicinity of where the assailant was last seen. Darren was in dire need of making a huge arrest to take the focus away from his recent transgressions. While he circled the perimeter, he heard the harmony of several dogs barking in unison. It's been his experience that this was a telltale sign that someone unfamiliar had caught their attention. And there he was, still wearing the same hood over his head that had been given in the description by the eyewitness. After Darren gave out the word over the radio that he located the suspect, he got out of his car and gave chase. The officer's speed was no match for the young track star and neither was his wind. The suspect cut a corner in the alley having a distance of Dar on Darren by about 10 yards. As he ran toward the end zone of his neighborhood, he was blindsided and tackled by Trevor who had just joined the chase. As Trevor placed the Carl Lewis replica under arrest, Darren finally caught up breathing heavily and drenched in sweat. You're getting too old, Darren, Trevor said as he lifted up the suspect from off the ground. The two grabbed hold of the robber and began walking him toward the direction of Trevor's parked cruiser. I tripped, Darren replied, while still attempting to catch his breath. Tripped, huh? This makes the third chase this year that you've quote unquote tripped. I bet I could still beat you, Darren replied. <laughs> Now you're really tripping, Trevor said, trying to be funny while making a play on words. After Darren thought about what Trevor said, he gave him a serious and stern look and said, That was corny, Trevor. Just plain corny. As they sat around the dinner table, Darren began telling Josh, Trevor's 17-year-old son, the dangers that he faced while on the force. Josh was fascinated with Darren's tales of violence, hanging on to every word that he spoke. Darren toward, turned towards Trevor's wife, Deborah, and asked her, Could I get a glass of wine, Deb? Deb, not wanting to contribute to Darren's problems with alcohol, looked over at her husband. Darren nodded his head at his wife, signaling to her that it was okay to pour him a glass. Deb just rolled her eyes at her husband as she turned around to fetch the bottle that she, so called, that she called herself hiding out of plain view of their company. Darren continued to talk. No subject went uncovered as he shifted from topic to topic. His plate of spaghetti went neglected as he spent his time drinking multiple glasses of spirits and talking everyone's ears off. After about his fourth glass, Trevor interrupted any thoughts that Darren may have had of a fifth one. Don't forget that you still have to drive home, buddy. Man, I'll be alright, Darren stated. Nah, Darren, friends don't let friends drive drunk, remember? You're right, bro. I need to be heading home anyway. Deborah, thank you for the lovely meal. Deb looked at him with disgust because he hadn't even touched the food that was on his plate. Trevor, I'll see you tomorrow. Bye, Mr. Cooper, Josh said as Trevor got up from the table. After making sure that Darren was out of their sight, Deb looked at Trevor. He needs help. Give him a break, Deb. The man's going through a divorce. She won't even let him see his kids. Darren, you just keep making excuses for him. If only you knew the real Darren. Trevor replied. You will see that he's a good man as well as a good cop. Rashad Akers walked toward his home unaware that his family had planned a surprise party for his graduation. His family was proud of the fact that he stuck with school. 
while so many of his peers had already dropped out several years ago. Rashad wanted something more for his life. He had already saw firsthand what the alternative was. Various people that he had known since grade school had chosen to be self-employed. Rashad watches their career paths of drug dealing result in an early retirement due to murder and receiving lengthy prison sentences. Seeing his friends die at a young age caused him to become very vocal about the plight that he saw in his community. He chose to get involved and become an activist at the tender age of 15. His family and his community believed in him, and this night they were going to celebrate his accomplishments. Surprise! Everyone yelled as Rashad turned the knob to the front door. He couldn't believe his eyes. His family, closest friends, and his teachers all crowded the living room to say congratulations and wish him well in his venture to college that he had been accepted to. Waiting in the backyard was a brand new BMW that his family had saved up for several years to give him as a gift. After leaving, Darren proceeded to drive his car through a high crime neighborhood. He slowly drove down a one-way street until he stopped in front of a group of women who were standing in front of a liquor store. As he rolled down his window, a caramel-skinned petite woman in a short skirt walked towards his car. Are you a cop, she asked. Yeah, and a horny one, he replied. After talking for a few minutes, she then walked over to the passenger side and got into his car. Darren drove for several more feet and then proceeded to make a left in order to park his car in a dark alley. The woman's head could no longer be seen as Darren reclined his seat to get in a more comfortable position. After about 10 minutes, the woman's head resurfaced. The woman exited the vehicle, clutching hold of her payment for the night, waving at Darren as he drove off. Once morning came, Darren called his wife who was soon to be his ex. What, Darren? She answered up, obviously annoyed by his call. I was just wondering, can I possibly get the kids this weekend, he asked. Darren, we already talked about this. Not until the judge approves of the supervised visits. I don't need damn supervised visits. Hell, those are my two kids too, Sharon. Darren, you need to get some help. I don't want the kids seeing you like this. Sharon, you're keeping the only thing that matters away from me. If they matter, then you'll get the help that you need, Darren. Man, I see this is going nowhere, Darren said. I came to that conclusion several months ago, didn't I, Darren? Goodbye, Darren, she said as she hung up the phone. Darren, filled with rage, took his frustration out on the wall as he punched it, bruising his knuckles in the process. Everyone was still sound asleep in the house, compliments of the party which finally ended about five hours ago. Rashad figured that he would catch up on, up on sleep anytime. For the time being, there was a driver's seat that required his presence. As he went down the steps, remnants of the party still littered the dining room table. Paper plates with half-eaten food set atop of the decorations placed on the top tablecloth. Rashad maneuvered through the assorted colors of balloons that had found a resting place on the living room carpet. Making his way outside, he pushed the bottom to he pushed a button to the keyless remote starter that dangled from his key ring. The quiet sound of the engine made him second guess whether or not the car was even running. Once behind the wheel, Rashad wasted no time checking out the features that the car came with. Figuring that there were were too there were way too many to learn at the present, he decided to wait till later, when he would skim through the owner's manual. Where should he go? He knew that his girlfriend was still at work. Without further hesitation, he decided to make a beeline towards the interstate. Choosing Jay-Z's greatest hits for his traveling music, he punched the gas testing the speed limit on the freeway. Doing no less than 90, he quickly approached the, e the exit of his destination in record timing. 
He was headed to his old hood, the poverty-stricken community of the Headley Heights, a crime-riddled environment where living was synonymous with death. His parents were finally able to break free from that area that had engulfed and taken so many of his peers. For Rashad, this place had so, held so many memories, both good and bad. Though he had been taken away from the place that the news dubbed Deadly Heights, to Rashad, the projects that some people feared would always be considered a second home. A group of teens noticed the BMW slowly as it cruised up the street. The first off of their head was the unfamiliar-looking car was probably lost. Rashad pulled up closer and rolled down his window. One of the teens named Junie placed his hand on the gun that was tucked away inside of his waistband. Junie! Rashad yelled. Rashad, is that you? He screamed back. Rashad started to smile as the teen pranced his way toward the car. Man, don't you ever creep up like that. You almost got that pretty little car full of bullet holes. Matter of fact, where the hell did you get this car from? It was a present. A present? A present from who? Oprah? Nah, my folks, man. I graduated. Junie walked closer to the car to shake Rashad's hands. Congratulations, man. Right on. So why weren't you at my party? Man, you know your moms ain't going for that. She don't like me. That ain't true, Junie. She just believes that you're so much capable of so much more. Well, anyway, tell her I said hi. I don't know if you heard or not, but I'll be heading to law school in a few weeks. Good, I might need your services one day. One of the teens walked over towards Junie after hanging up her phone. A light-skinned young lady with freckles and long braided hair. Her pretty girlish face contradicted her manly mannerisms and style of dress. She whispered something in the ear of Junie. Rashad, I got a few things that I got to take care of. All right, Junie, be careful out here. L love you, man. Love you too, bro. Junie then turned around and looked at the group while he shouted, Hey, y'all, that's my attorney right there. Rashad couldn't help but to smile as he drove off, cranking up his music. As the call officer down came over the radio, Trevor raced to the location that had been given over the airwaves. Though the police force was considered as a brotherhood, he had no idea just how close he would be to the person who died in the line of duty. Trevor could hear what seemed like hundreds of sirens mixing with his as he sped through the intersections. He pulled up among the dozens of lights coming from the squad cars that lit up the Haley Heights projects. Trevor was met by Darren, who had pain-colored eyes mixed with traces of red that came from his tears that had been wiped away. It was Taylor, Darren said while trying to keep from getting choked up. Upon hearing those words, Trevor's heart sank down to the pit of his stomach. As her gripped hold of his voice, causing him to be at a loss for words, he closed his eye. Trevor came from a long line of police officers. Blue was in their blood. His grandfather and his father passed down their pride of wearing the badge to Trevor and his younger sibling. As Trevor opened back up his eyes, Darren explained to him the events that led up to his brother's death. Taylor had been patrolling the Headley Heights projects when he saw several teens standing over a man holding him at gunpoint. Taylor ordered the female to drop her weapon, and then another teen blindsided Taylor and shot him. As they ran, another officer shot the teen who killed your brother. All of the other kids are in custody. I'm sorry, Trevor. Um, is that the guy who shot Taylor? Is he dead? He asked Darren. Yeah, they killed the little buckwheat motherfucker. Trevor didn't find any comfort in knowing that the team was dead. Once upon a time ago, Trevor used to patrol this same side of town, so he was familiar with several of the occupants. He may have even known the team's parents, and that was a thought that went through his mind. 
His heart and prayers not only went out for his own family, but also for the family of the team. There was a very small part of him that felt that the team got what he deserved, but those feelings were to be expected because though he was a good cop, Trevor was only human. Rashad, still feeling the pain of losing his friend that was killed by the police, was looking forward to leaving the state to attend college. His departure would be bittersweet because it meant leaving his girlfriend behind. He had just picked up his girlfriend Aaron from work. So how do you like working third shift, he asked her. I hate it, she responded. Can I use your charger because my phone's almost dead? Yeah, it's in the center council. A few more days, huh? Aaron said, referring to the time that she had left to spend with Rashad. Rashad could hear the disappointment in her voice. I'm really going to miss you, Shad. I'm going to miss you too. Rashad began to play some soft, slow music as he chose to take the long way to his girlfriend's house. The soothing sound of the music instantly put Aaron to sleep, not to mention the fact that she was already tired from the long light night that she had at work. Rashad began to think about the bright future that he had in front of him. Aaron had no idea that he would propose to her before he left to go to school. We're here, babe, he said while waking her up from her short slumber. The city and the police force were still on edge from what happened to one of their finest. Darren wearing dark-colored Ray-Bans pulled his cruiser right next to Trevor, who was parked along a side street. Morning, sunshine, Darren said as he took a sip from his thermos. Couldn't sleep a week, huh? Trevor asked while basing his assumption on the shades and the coffee that he thought Darren was drinking. Nah, I actually slept like a baby, he said as he took another sip of the whiskey that was in his thermos. Darren had spent the night at a hotel being entertained by a couple of strippers. He had provided party favors that consisted of cocaine and ecstasy thanks to some evidence that he had failed to turn in. The women were still at the room sleeping off their high, waiting for Darren to get off work so they could resume their threesome. As Trevor and his friend chatted, a beige-colored BMW approached the south side that was at the intersection. The car kept rolling, passing the sign, and neglecting to come to a complete stop. Darren decided to pull the car over. An older man was in, the abandoned, in an abandoned house looking out through the hole of a wooden board that covered up a window. The man became paranoid from the drugs that he was shooting into his veins, thinking that the police car that pulled up was there to arrest him. Darren turned on his lights and got behind the vehicle. Rashad brought his car to a complete stop. Darren commenced to exit from his police cruiser. As he approached the driver's side, he motioned for Rashad to let down his window. License and registration and proof of insurance, please. You're just pulling me over because I'm black. No, I'm pulling you over because you didn't stop at the stop sign. Yeah, you see a young black male driving a nice car. You just had to pull him over. I'm going to ask you one more time. License, registration, and proof of insurance. Trevor began to pull behind Darren's cruiser in an effort to assist him. Your life sucks, don't it? What's wrong? Your wife didn't give you none last night? Those last words stuck Darren like a knife, bringing to remembrance, losing his family in his crumbling marriage. Step out of the vehicle, he yelled. Yeah, sure thing, Rashad defiantly replied as he attempted to drive off. Darren, without, hesit without giving it a second thought, withdrew his firearm and commenced to dis discharge the pistol shooting four times. The car slowly came to a complete halt as the driver lay slumped over the steering wheel. Trevor proceeded to jump out of his cruiser. Darren, Darren, what the hell just happened? Man, I don't know. I just freaked out. I, I, I thought he was going to run over me. There's no way you thought that, Darren. Trevor, man, I need your help. What do you mean you need my help? We got to call this in. Listen to me, Trevor. I need you. 
I lost everything. I can't lose my job. Just give me a little time to think this through. Darren started to walk towards his car and opened up the trunk. He then walked back toward the BMW wearing leather gloves, clutching hold of the same 45 caliber handgun that he threw in his trunk a little over a month ago. Darren, what the hell are you doing? Listen, Trevor, he was reaching for his gun that was in the center council, and that's when I shot him. Please, I need you to back me up, Trevor. Trevor originally got into the force to make a difference. He was a real respected officer not only to the force, but also to the streets that he patrolled. Now here he was about to compromise everything that he stood for in order to help his comrade. Darren called the incident in. Officers as well as the paramedics flooded the scene within minutes. News reporters from all local stations began broadcasting live with the information they were given. As the family received the news of what had taken place to Rashad, they were outraged as well as in disbelief as to what was being alleged. A news reporter interviewed the family several hours after the incident occurred. The cameras captured the pain and the anger that was in their eyes. Community activists and the local clergy had gathered on the line and along the sidewalk to show their support. Several people formed a prayer circle asking that the Lord would strengthen the family. People both black and white whose lives had been touched by Rashad rallied outside holding a candle and candles in his memory. The family began painting the picture, allowing the public to become privy of exactly who Rashad Akers really was. Rashad was about to go to law school, his mother said. He did volunteer work in the same community that he grew in, grew up in. Right now, I'm too angry to cry or to mourn because of the lies that are being told about my son. Rashad's family refuted the claim that he had a gun. That belief was further backed up by the testimony of Rashad's girlfriend, Aaron, who said that he had just dropped her off minutes before he was shot. There wasn't a gun in that car and they know it, Aaron stated while trying to hold back her tears. The only thing that was in the center council was his charger that he allowed me to use for my phone. The family begged for an investigation to be launched. They vowed that they wouldn't be silent and would continue to scream for justice to be served. After the interview, a woman approached the family. A pit bull of an attorney named Camille Mitchell, who was known for being an activist for civil rights and racial injustice. As the brick went through the window, the sound of the glass shattering could be heard a block away. Someone shot off the street lights with a gun, but the fires that were set illuminated the dark areas. The people took to the streets, taking out their aggression on the cars they overturned. A woman set ablaze the memorial that was in the Haley Heights, marking the spot where Trevor's brother was killed. Fights broke out in the streets. Anyone who looked like they weren't from that inner city were considered prey. Alarms were triggered as stores were looted and vandalized. People with their phones took selfies in front of the riots, posting it on their Facebook pages. As the sirens blared through the atmosphere, the people welcomed the thoughts of a clash with the officers. Dressed in full riot gear, the shields protected the police from the bricks that were being hurled in their direction. The police moved forward, commanding the crowd to disperse. Their demands fell on deaf ears as the crowd refused to back down and retreat from their agenda. The tear gas forced many that were in the crowd to have a sudden change of heart, while those who still resisted were persuaded by physical force. After hours went past and several arrests had been made, the commotion started showing signs of dwindling down to a minimum. Both sides knew that what was taking place was far from being resolved. The music of the birds chirping were sounds that were pleasant to Deb's ears. It was a far cry from the pandemonium that her husband told her that took place the night before. As she and her son Josh sat at home, the news interrupted the program that they were watching. Rashad's family was holding a press conference. The attorney said that there was new information that needed to be heard. 
The family stood behind their attorney Camille holding hands as she began to speak. There has been new developments that further shed light on what the family believes is a cover-up. An eyewitness has come forward and said that they not only saw the two officers arguing after the shooting, but that Officer Cooper went to the trunk of his car after he shot Mr. Akers and then returned to Mr. Akers' car and opened up the driver's side door. The gun was both tested for fingerprints and DNA, and neither of the two were contributed to Mr. Rashad Akers. We demand for this city and the prosecuting attorney to not only conduct a full and thorough investigation, but to also file formal charges on both Officer Darren Cooper and Officer Trevor Lasley. A news reporter then asked a question, directing it toward the family of Rashad Akers. Do you want the protest to be peaceful, she asked. Rashad's father approached the microphone. I want justice for my son, he said, failing to really address the reporter's question. Camille then chimed in. The family would not be answering any more questions. Deb couldn't believe what she was hearing. What the hell is wrong with those people? He had a gun for Pete's sake. Would they still be protesting if that boy would have killed Darren? No, but because that boy is dead and not Darren, they want to get all Martin Luther Kingish in March. Within a few seconds of Deb making that last comment, her front door opened up. Trevor, what are you doing home so early? They placed me and Darren on paid leave until everything blows over. Josh took this as his cue to allow his parents to have some time amongst themselves to discuss what was going on. He grabbed his keys and headed out the door. After the press conference, the second day of protests began. Instead of destroying their own neighborhood, the people marched through the suburban area screaming their cries for justice. People in the community that, that opposed their voice, the people in the community that opposed their cause voiced their opinions from the safety of their front porch. Those that were brave enough to step foot toward the crowd soon wished that they would have opted not to have opened their mouths. As they ran back toward their homes to nurse the wounds that had been inflicted, the mob continued to march forward until they reached the front door of the police precinct. Trevor's phone rang. Hello, he said as he answered. Trevor, I've been giving the heads up that they're bringing in the outside agency to conduct an investigation. But as long as we stick to the story, everything will be all right. Trevor proceeded to walk outside so that he could talk away from his wife's presence. I can't keep it make, making excuses for you, Darren. Who knows? Maybe this is a way for you to finally get the help that you need. Where at? In prison? We see every day how prison helps people change, don't we? That's why we keep locking up so many repeat offenders, so no thank you. Listen, I promise that as soon as this is over, I'll get some help. Darren, I don't know about this. You're asking me to jeopardize my job. It's our word against theirs, Trevor, and you know who they'll believe. After the phone call, Darren proceeded to walk back into the house. Deb, there's something I need to tell you. Trevor was interrupted by the sound of the door busting open. Josh was holding his head back, trying to keep his nose from bleeding. His shirt had matured to the point that it was barely covering up his upper body. Josh, what happened? His mother questioned. I wouldn't stood up for Mr. Cooper. Josh, you didn't. Yeah, I went straight down to that protest, and I began standing up for Mr. Cooper. I sure did. Trevor looked at his son, who was wearing his scars as a badge of honor. Josh, go upstairs and get cleaned up. Josh went up the steps, proud of the fact that he defended the honor of somebody that he looked up to. Deb, I have to be honest with you. That boy that Darren killed wasn't armed. Trevor, no, please don't say that. It's true, Deb. But you said that he would. I, I know, and I, I was wrong. I was trying to protect Darren. Honey, you've got to do something. Look what it's doing to our city. Look what it's doing to our son. What if that was Josh, Trevor? How would you feel? You're right, Deb. Trevor, if Darren's not stopped, he's going to wind up hurting another innocent person. 
What are you doing, Trevor? You're not like this. You're a good cop, not a bad one. Those last words that she spoke continue to play over and over in the back of Trevor's mind. Echoes from the sound of the chants made it next to impossible to hear what the man was trying to relate to the crowd. He decided to tell the woman closest to him and have her pass the message down. What they had been wishing for would be granted. An outside investigation would be launched. After word circulated amongst the patrons, signs of relief were shown through applause and approval. The family issued out a statement saying that the decision was a step in the right direction. Before the, they dispersed, the crowd began to pray, thanking God that their voice had been heard. Darren was becoming a nervous wreck. He was becoming a man unhinged. A game of 20 questions without answers bombarded his train of thought. Why the hell did not make sure to put his prints on that gun? Where the fuck did this eyewitness come from? Can Trevor be trusted? Darren paced the floor, gripping hold of a fifth of Jack, spilling it as he continued to talk to himself out loud. His hair was unkept. His normally hidden gray was starting to show in his beard that he hadn't shaved in a while. He needed counsel, and there was one person who he knew that would speak to him truthfully and not just tell him what he wanted to hear. Darren got in his car and sped through traffic. As he reached his destination, he wondered should he turn back around and leave. He dismissed, he dismissed that thought and damn near re-ended, re-ended the car that was parked in front of the home. Darren banged on the door. After about a minute or two, the curtain in the living room was pulled back. Daddy! The girl yelled, showing the excitement that she felt to see her father. Darren's heart fluttered with happiness as he heard the door unlocked. As he braced to give his daughter a hug, he made his way closer to the door. The door opened, but instead of a 10-year-old girl who he thought would greet him, stood a man wearing a black bathrobe staring him directly in his eyes. I think you better leave, Darren, he said. Who the hell are you? By that time the man got ready to an- by the time that the man got ready to answer, Sharon stepped in front of him. I'll take care of this, Tim. Darren, what are you doing here? Who the hell is this? Darren asked while pointing in the man's direction. I can't see my kids, but this motherfucker can. The man began to walk towards Darren, but Sharon placed her hand on his chest in an attempt to calm him down. Look at you, Darren. Go home and get yourself together. Sharon, I just want to talk. I think that you have other things that you need to worry about, Darren. Good night. Sharon, Darren said as the tears filled his eyes. His daughter looked out of the upstairs window, waving by as Sharon shut the door. Troy Benson, the witness to the police action shooting, was nervous as he neared the state house. Up until this point, all of his dealing with the legal system had turned out negative, resulting in felonies and prison sentences. This time he was on the other side of the law, fighting for justice instead of being the defendant. Camille met him in the parking lot, assuring him that he had nothing to be afraid of. She was well aware of his criminal record and how that may be used against him in the event of him taking a stand in any future hearing. She could see the apprehensiveness in his face. You got this, she said as she took her hand and straightened up his tie form. The state house halls were empty. The lack of sound seemed to magnify the echoes of their footsteps throughout the building. As they reached the conference room, several men stood chatting while others gathered around a table passing around a file. Counselor, the prosecutor said while reaching out the hand, her hand to shake Camille's. The two of them were well acquainted, having had their share of battles against one another in the courtroom. They already had a mutual respect for each other, and this time they were on the same team. Brian, she replied while extending her hand to meet his. And this must be Troy Benson. The prosecutor could feel the sweaty, the sweat on his palm as he took, shook it. The next few minutes were spent introducing the men who were in the room. 
As they began, the prosecutor started asking the witness several inquiries about the day in question. Trained to spot a liar, the man could tell that the witness was being truthful when he responded. Judging by their expressions, Camille believed that things were looking good. After the witness was finished with his account of the events, a man who had his eyes buried in the foul the whole time chimed in. Could you tell me why you were in the abandoned house? Camille looked puzzled, wondering why this question had any relevance to his testimony. Troy froze. He didn't want to say anything that could incriminate himself. Camille waited for his answers. Troy began to stutter. I, 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 the man interrupted. Would this syringe that was found have anything to do with why you were there? Troy took a deep breath and said yes. Camille dropped her head. So you were in there getting high, he then asked. Yes. Now, you had already shot up before the incident occurred? Yes. So in other words, you were high when you saw what you were alleging? Yes. Camille was caught off guard, upset because of the fact that Troy hadn't shared this information with her. If she had known, she could have coached him in how to answer the questions and, if need be, lie. The anger that she had was more so against herself. How could she have been so stupid not to, inqu not to inquire and extract more information out of this witness? The man then turned his attention toward the prosecutor. If you're finished, we have no further questions. Thank you, Mr. Benson, Miss Mitchell. Darren was not ready for this day. He knew that would become of his he, he knew that what would become of his life all hands on the next few hours. The bags under his eyes gave away the secret of a man that had been deprived of sleep. Trevor's wife had texted him a scripture out of the Bible. It was a proverb that spoke about the six things that the Lord hates. The third one on the list read, a false witness that speak lies. Somehow, the information got leaked that the officers would be at the State House during the second day of the investigation. As Trevor made his way toward the State House steps, protesters stood outside holding signs chanting slogans. Trevor hurried past while making no attempt to look in the direction of the people who were yelling at him. Once he made his way into the building, he felt a sense of relief that he was finally in a safe place. The conference door was already closed. Trevor saw Darren's car in the parking lot, so he figured that he was already in the room. So he sat outside and waited. <laughs> Mr. Cooper, could you please walk us through exactly what took place on that day in question? I was sitting in my cruiser talking to Officer Lasley when I saw the BMW approach the intersection. The driver failed to come to a complete stop at the stop sign. I then got behind the car and turned my lights on. I asked him for his license and registration after I approached the driver's side of his vehicle. He said that I was only stopping him because he was black. I informed him that I stopped him because he failed to stop at a stop sign. By this time, Officer Lasley got out of his cruiser and began to approach the passenger side. Seeing him approaching his vehicle made the driver kind of nervous. I noted that, noticed that he was beginning to act fidgety, looking towards his right side like he was contemplating what he should do. I then drew my gun and asked him to exit the vehicle. That's when I saw him reach towards the center council for what I believe was a gun. I shot four times and after I discharged my firearm, I saw that my intuition and my observation were correct. Did you and Officer Lasley argue at any time after the shots? The prosecutor asked him. No, but what did happen was that Officer Lasley tried to comfort and calm me down because I was sad and nervous about what took place. Did you ever go to the trunk of your car? No, I had no reason to go to my cruiser. Did you, and if so, did you open the driver's side door? I opened up the door to not only secure the weapon, but to check his vitals and see if there was anything that I could do to save him. 
At that time, I called the incident in. Thank you, Mr. Cooper. That would be all. Darren walked out of the room. On one hand, he was glad that it was over. But on the other hand, he worried about what Trevor was going to say. He looked at Trevor and nodded his head. Trevor did the same gesture, but was unable to look at his friend in his eyes. At that point, Darren knew that Trevor was about to tell them the truth. He wasn't going to stand around and wait. Trevor walked in and closed the door behind him. He was torn between doing what was right and telling the truth or standing behind his friend and fellow officer. He remembered the Bible verse that his wife had sent him, but Trevor still chose to do the latter. He told the exact same story that Darren had given. Later that evening, a news conference was held. Camille and the Akers family had already been informed of what the city was about to hear. The prosecutor walked to the microphone with a look of regret for what he was about to share with the public. After conducting the investigation, it's been concluded that neither officer would face criminal charges in the police action shooting of Rashad Akers. It was found that the use of force was justified and there was no evidence that shows otherwise. Each police district prepared themselves for the backlash and the melee that was about to take place. Even though the officers were clear, the chief was already in the process of filling out the paperwork to fire Officer Darren Cooper. Trevor's phone rang. I owe you a lot. Thank you, Trevor. Just get some help, Darren. I know. You're right, Trevor. I need it. He said while drinking a fifth of whiskey in celebration of the victory. The two hung up the phone. Trevor knew that he had to face his wife, who may leave him because of his decision that he made. The guilt that he felt weighed him down. Darren, on the other hand, wanted some company. And he was in the mood to pay for a cure to his loneliness. He wanted to give himself a victory present, and he knew just the place to find one. He got into his car, wanting to find himself a hooker for the night. Weaving through traffic, he approached an intersection as the light was turning yellow. He sped up trying to beat the red light. He barely missed it, and it was too late for him not to hit the car that was crossing in front of him. Officer Lasley received the call that his friend was involved in the accident. He sped through traffic, rushing to get to the side of his closest friend. As he approached the scene, he began shaking his head to what his eyes were seeing. The cars were totaled. Running to the wreckage, tears began falling. But these tears were not that for his friend Darren. The driver of the other side who died on impact was Josh, Trevor's 17-year-old son. This has been another Unlikely Story production. Yup!